Welcome to another sermon in uh, January. New year, new me, but new year, same God. <laughs> love it, love it. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and continue what Tony talked about last week. He talked about loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. And today we're going to be looking at how to love God, specifically what is worship. And um, as I was preparing for the sermon, what came to my mind was... Uh, when I first started my pastoral internship with Tony uh, a couple years ago, um, one of the best advice that Tony has ever given me, that still stuck with me to this day, was to set aside a day for Casey. Right? To set aside one day, to invest in Casey, cook for her, take care of her, spend time with her. And so I decided on Wednesday. Right? So Wednesday, I'll spend a bulk of my time where I won't do work, I won't do ministry, I'll go and spend time with Casey, just take her to places, and just let her know that she's loved. Now imagine that I only loved her on Wednesdays. Every other days I was like, no, nah, Casey, sorry, you're second. I got other things to do. I got to go talk to Jason, Nathan. Um, you want to ride in my car? No, nah, I'm sorry. You got to go to the back because, you know, Huang's in the front. Like, I have other things going on. That would be a red flag, right? Like, if you guys knew Casey, you would tell her, break up with him. That's bad. But as, as silly as that sounds, that's oftentimes our relationship with God, how we treat worship. We think that on Sundays we could come in, if we're not zoning out, we can go out and sing the songs, we can listen to the sermons, and all of a sudden on Monday, we're somebody else. Like we're no longer Christians, we're on work mode, we're on school mode, and suddenly worship goes out the window. God goes out the window. Uh, we forget that worship is a hard expression of treasuring and loving God. And love isn't limited to a single day. Love is in the ordinary. Worship is in the everyday. A.W. Tozer, a theologian and writer, once wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship him one day a week. So what does it look like to worship God in the ordinary, in the everyday? Or as Paul puts it, what does it mean to pray unceasingly? Well, the answer, as per usual, can be found in God's word. So let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 22 to 38. Let me say that again. Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses uh, 22 to 38. Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. I'm going to start reading. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice. According to what is stated in the law of, his, uh, law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary in the, under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, 
this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess Anna, a daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and began to speak to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, this Sunday, I pray, Lord, that you may help us have a heart that desires you, that desires your worship. I pray, Lord, that you may remind us that worship is not just in singing, though it is not less. Worship is more than just listening to a sermon. Worship is more than all these things, Lord, is having a heart that treasures you, Lord. Worship is in the everyday. I pray, Lord, that you may cut our hearts. You may convict us where we need to be convicted. You may encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, that you may make, help us to make more of you. I pray, Lord, that you may help us to uh, look into your scriptures with an eye that desires to make more of you and an eye that sees your gospel. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so what is worship? What is true worship in the everyday? Well, the answer comes in a sentence. And so this will be my sermon in a sentence. Again, if you guys forget everything, if you guys zone out, this is the sentence I need you guys to remember. And the sentence is, true worship is obedience and allowing Christ to color your everyday perceptions and actions. Let me say that one more time. True worship is obedience and allowing God to color your perceptions and actions. We have three points for us today. Number one, um, worship. True worship means obedience. Point number two, true worship means Christ colors your everyday perceptions. And point number three, true worship means Christ colors your everyday actions. So let's go ahead and look at point one. True worship means obedience. Let's go ahead and read 22 to 24 a little bit more carefully. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. True worship means obedience. Okay, so for us to understand what is exactly happening in this scene, we have to understand what happened before and a little bit of the Old Testament. So Mary and Joseph are going to the temple in Jerusalem right after the manger, right? Jesus is born, Bethlehem. They went over to Jerusalem. They're going to the temple to, uh, to fulfill two things from the Old Testament. They're there to fulfill, number one, the dedication of the firstborn, and number two, the cleansing of of the mother and child. And so for us to understand both of these things would help get a, a deeper insight to what Mary and Joseph were doing. So number one, dedicating the child. So Mary was bringing Jesus to be dedicated because she's obeying something that happened in Exodus 13. See, in Exodus 13, it is said that the firstborn child opens up the womb. And so what the parents have to do is take the firstborn child, go to the temple, and dedicate it to the Lord. 
It was supposed to act as kind of a reminder of back in Exodus, remember Prince of Egypt, when Israel is in Egypt and the last plague was that the firstborn must die. But Israel would be spared if they take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doors, then the angel of death would come by and they would pass over, aka pass over, right? And number two, Mary was fulfilling the cleansing of the mother and child. This is something from Leviticus 12. So it is said that when a mother gives birth, the child and the mother were considered unclean. And so after a certain amount of days, they had to go to the temple and bring in a lamb to act a sacrifice. But if the mother or the parent was too poor to afford a lamb, they would bring a turtle dove or a pigeon, which is what we see Mary and Joseph do here. And now with those two in mind, this event takes a completely new dimension, right? Like with Jesus in mind. You see Mary and Joseph coming to the temple, bringing in Jesus to number one, dedicate Jesus or the firstborn. Now keep in mind, again, the Passover was when Israel was spared by the blood of the lamb. And here we see the lamb of God being dedicated at the temple to save the world. Number two, the cleansing of the mother and child. We see that the mother or the parents were too poor to afford a lamb, but here is the metaphorical lamb of God getting ready to do the ultimate and permanent cleansing of sins that could never be fulfilled by the blood of just animals. Right? The blood of animals in the Old Testament held back the wrath of God, but it's only Jesus' blood that actually satisfies it. And so we see these two things happening at the same time. And of course, Mary and Joseph probably didn't know all this. They're not coming in thinking, oh yeah, we see the, um, the event that's going to take place. We see that we have the Lamb of God here. Like They weren't thinking that. But I think what Luke is trying to show us here is that even though Joseph and Mary didn't exactly know what was going on, they knew their scripture, they knew their God, and they're willing to obey. They knew their scripture because they genuinely knew and loved their God. And not just things about God. They didn't just hear things about God. They actually read the law of Moses, and they knew God and had a relationship with him. And so they knew how to properly worship God. So in their day, worshiping God meant dedicating Jesus, your firstborn, and cleansing the mother and child. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. But how can we obey if we don't know what the command is, if we don't know who the shepherd is? And so worshiping God means obeying God on his own terms. And we can only obey God if we know and understand what he wants from us first. Well, how exactly does he want us to worship him? And so the Christian life of worship and the everyday worship it's not a quest for just emotional experiences. It's not a quest to just learn as much as you can about the Bible. It's a quest to have an intimate relationship with God, the person of Jesus Christ. And so Joseph and Mary loved God, and so they knew about these two laws, the purification and the dedication. And because they knew his word and had a relationship with him, they understood properly how to obey him. Um, let me give an example. So I was reading an article the other day about a pastor who was talking about um, his relationship with his wife. And in the article, he talks about how he's driving his wife one night, and he turns to his wife and he says, how's your day? And she launches on this uh, narrative, like every moment of her day, all the struggles, all the blessings, right? And whenever she would pause, he would go ahead and step in and uh, share his solutions and his suggestions to her problems. And in response, she would 
be frustrated and say things like, you're not listening. And he wouldn't understand. It's only after they sat down, they communicated, and took time that he wrote the following. So he writes, it took a while, but I finally learned that she wasn't sharing her day with me so that I could solve her problems or offer advice. She was more than capable of dealing with the office politics and the technicalities of her job. She was rehearsing the day with me so that I could understand that she, what she experienced and to be with her in the feelings those experiences had provoked. Having been apart all day, she was inviting me back into her life. In quickly offering solutions and advice, I was effectively ignoring her and focusing on the job. So for her, the wife, loving her meant sitting down, listening, and paying attention to her. And that's for all of us. Like, loving one another takes unique dimensions, right? Um, let's talk about, like, let's say bucks, right? Bucks, animals. When they love, bucks love each other, they like butt heads. Now imagine if I love Casey, and so the way I showed that I love Casey, I went ahead and, like, slammed my head against somebody else. Like, that would make no sense. You would not feel loved by that. In the same way, we all have different love languages, whether it's being loved through gifts, service, words of affirmation. It's only after we sit down and we talk to the person that we recognize how to genuinely and fully love that person. And now this is even more real with God. When we want to know how to worship God, we need to have a relationship with him and meet him at his own ways and ends. So many times we can fool ourselves into thinking we're worshiping God just because we're singing songs or we're paying attention to the sermons, when in reality, we might not have a relationship with him. We can assume what we're doing is worship because it's the church culture, or we're doing what the leaders are telling us. We can say things like, God, don't I do all these things for you? Don't I sing there and praise? Look at how much I tithe. Look at all the things I've built. But God is saying, that means nothing if you do not know me, if there's no heart dimension to it. You can go as much services as you like, years and years of church, and you can never be worshiping God if it's all external and nothing is happening in your heart. You don't recognize how to worship him, how to spend time with him. Worship is obedience, but obeying God requires you to know him first, and to know him, you need to know his word. Like how Mary and Joseph knew the law of Moses, they knew how to worship him, we can also do the same by reading our scriptures. Um, that's how we can start worshiping God in the everyday. Like, for example, how do we worship God when we purchase something um, at a gas station? How do we worship God when we go to work? How do we worship God when we go to school? How do we worship God when we're hanging out with friends or when we're studying? You can worship God in all that you do in your everyday because you know God and you know what faithful obedience looks like. Because scripture shows you what faithful obedience looks like in the everyday. Okay, point two, point two. True worship means Jesus colors your everyday perceptions. Let me say that again. True worship means Jesus colors your everyday perceptions. So we'll be reading verses 25 to the end of 35. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, um, Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, 
Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What would you do if you were literally given the promise that you will not die until you see God face to face? Like you will not see death until you literally physically see Jesus face to face. So let's go ahead and get a couple answers. Go ahead and think about it. And go ahead and call on three people. What would you literally do? How would you live your life differently if you knew that Jesus will physically come back before you die? Um, Let's go with Sean. What do you think? How would you live your life differently? Yeah? Yeah, so I love that. So like everything that Sean is sharing is, is just, his life is looking forward to when he's going to talk with Jesus, right? He's fearful, but he has, also has a bunch of questions. Um, it says, I don't know if you guys see in the back, it says, don't call on me. So Ben, what do you think? <laughs> okay okay yeah change your life live better so there's different thoughts that you guys might be having on what you would do differently if God literally came down to you and that's the promise that Simeon gets that seems like an extraordinary promise but that's the promise that Simeon receives like you will not die until you see Jesus face to face. And so even though the story kind of seems a little, when I first read this, I thought it was kind of creepy. Like Simeon just walks up, takes a baby, just holds it up and starts singing. Um, But there's a deep theological truth here. And it's that Simeon was given the promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so keep in mind, up until this point, Israel was not powerful. Right? Israel was conquered, exiled, repeatedly dealt hardships and sufferings. But the Messiah, the Messiah was promised to bring eternal peace. And Simeon gets to see him. The Messiah, the fulfillment of Psalms 93, of Isaiah 43, um, the promise that was given to David, Moses, Abraham, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament is this. This is the pinnacle. This is it. This is God. And Simeon gets to hold him. Simeon gets to see him. Simeon probably lived his entire life waiting for this one moment. Now, most of us live our lives waiting for certain moments, whether it's the weekends, whether it's the holidays. It's probably not the Messiah moment. The moments we tend to long for are often things like friends, family, relationships. But Simeon trusted in God's promise, and he let that promise color his entire life. Let's think about it. It's probably the temple. Hundreds of babies, 
hundreds of people walking in and out, many looking at baby Jesus, not thinking anything of it, and walking right past. But Simeon, Simeon walks in, sees baby Jesus, immediately knows this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the salvation of the world. He was able to recognize baby Jesus because he allowed his life to be revolved around God and his promises. He was given a promise that dictated his entire life. And that's true worship. It's letting your life all point to God and his promises. Um, Let me give an example. So in the show, Violet Evergarden, I think I mentioned this one before, the protagonist is this woman named Violet. And she's a soldier, she's emotionless, and she's just somebody who simply takes orders. And the only one who treats her like a human being is her commander. His name is Gilbert. Until the event happens where Gilbert gives up his life to save her. And his final words to her is, I love you. And her life is completely shattered. Not because Gilbert is dead. Not because Gilbert treated her like a human being. But because she sat down and thought to herself, I have no idea what those words mean. What does I love you mean? And so literally the entire show, everything that occurs afterwards for the next 11 episodes is the protagonist trying to figure out the words, I love you. What does this mean? Every episode, every event, all revolves around that phrase. And that's worship. That's whatever has the biggest weight in your heart. Whatever weighs the most in you is going to go ahead and pull a gravitational pull to all the other things in your life. Everything in your life is going to go ahead and revolve and circle around whatever's the heaviest in your heart. And for Simeon, that was God and his promises. And you guys might be thinking, all right, Kevin, but Simeon got to see God face to face. We don't have that luxury. It's easy for Simeon to treasure God's promises because God literally told him. But keep in mind, again, Simeon only got to see baby Jesus, and he said, I can die happy we get to see a lot more, right? Simeon didn't see the multiplication of bread. Simeon didn't see the death and resurrection. Simeon didn't see the church multiply. Simeon didn't see the end times, but we do. And we're also given a promise. We're given a promise that if we have faith in Christ and repent of our sins, then we will also see God face to face, that we will uh, be resurrected in him and have eternal life. We know that the war has been won. We are also given promises. And are you confident in the promises that God has given you? Does your life revolve around this? The fact that you will one day see God. If you're a Christian, you will one day have eternal life. Is the weightiness of that in your heart? Does that, do you prize that above all else? Does everything else you do in your life, whether it's work, family, school, whatever, does that all revolve around the weightiest thing, which is eternal life? which is God and his promises. Because the gospel, God's promises, is what allows a Christian and a non-Christian to see the exact same event and walk away worshiping different things. Simeon saying that day that Jesus will cause the rise and fall of many. And we know this is true. There's nothing as divisive as the gospel. Because when you come to -to face-to-face with the gospel, it's challenging you. It's saying you can either worship yourself, you can worship other things, or you can obey and worship God. You can sit on your throne, or you can allow God to be on that throne. So church, let's rise and allow Christ to color that truth 
in our lives. All right, number three, point three. True worship means Jesus colors your everyday actions. Let me say that again. True worship means Jesus colors your everyday actions. We're going to go ahead and read verses 36 to 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and she was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. True worship means God colors your everyday actions from the beginning to the end. Um, in 1945, three amazing American evangelists started to preach. There's Chuck Templeton, Bron Clifford, and Billy Graham. You guys have all probably heard of Billy Graham, but why haven't you guys heard of the other two? Thousands would pack their stadiums. They were charismatic. Well, what happened to the other two? In 1950, Chuck Templeton quit his church to pursue a career in TV. Then seven years later, he decided to give up his faith. What about Clifford? Well, in 1954, alcoholism cost him his family, his ministry, his uh, health, and then eventually his life. Worshiping God means your relationship with God colors your actions from the beginning to the end. And there's few like Anna the prophetess that I feel like this is the, that is most applicable to. See, Anna was an old woman, as we see in the text. She was a widow for 84 years, and she was married to her husband for seven years. I mean that she is by far like around 90s or like in the hundreds, somewhere around that range. And instead of being bitter for being a widow for 80 or so years, she devotes her life to worshiping God. It seems like, you know, alongside Simeon, Anna recognized the value of Jesus. And from her heart rightly understanding the value of him, she begins to worship God with her lips, thanking God, and talking about him to whoever she met. And from her deep satisfaction in God, we see Anna act and worship him. We're characterized by the things we do. And from Anna, it seems like her actions characterized who she was. She worshiped God. She fasted day and night. Um, again, the best way for me to explain this is uh, it's a game called Mafia. So when I was young, that used to be my favorite game, Mafia. It's no longer my favorite game for a lot of reasons. But um, one of the reasons why it's no longer my favorite game is because you're characterized by the things you do. When I was young, I used to play Mafia with a group of friends, and it was fun. You know, we would play for hours, weeks in, and um, I really enjoyed the game, and I really enjoyed being Mafia. And because I enjoyed being Mafia, my, uh, my friends started doing something called tradition. So this was tradition. Basically, even today, the moment we start the game, like there's like maybe 10, 12 of us, the moment we start the game, they would all raise their hands and kill me. Just right off the bat, I would die. And that's because of all the times that I tried to convince my friends that, you know, I was not a Mafia, and they believed me, and they fought for me, and then I backstabbed them at the end. Which is why I hate the game Mafia, because, you know, apparently your game doesn't stay in the game. Um, but we are, again, characterized by the things we do and say. 
So church, when you look at your own life, are your actions, whether it's outside of church or in service, colored by your love for God? Not from just the beginning, but to the end. Because worship is more than just singing songs on a Sunday. It's part of worship, but it's not less. Worship is in the everyday. Because true worship is to know him, obey him, and allowing that to color our perceptions of reality and our actions. It's actively giving glory to God through our words, our thoughts. And so, church, let's worship God this week. As we sing, let's actually be mindful of the songs, not just singing for the sake of singing, but actually thinking about God. As we live out this week, let's be conscious about the fact that everything we do, everything we say, um, these small things are a reflection of the God that we worship. Our lives are worship. Let's pray.